Welcome to TBA Now. I'm Keith Stern, the rabbi of Temple Beth Avodah. I am blessed to know the many extraordinary people who are connected to our congregational community. This podcast is an opportunity to get to know who they are and what they do. I recently received an email from a former Temple president and previous podcast guest, Harvey Weiner. He wrote in his lawyerly way that we must absolutely include a fabulous personality amongst the members of TBA for our third season. And he specifically was referring to Erwin Liverman. Harvey listed just a few of Erwin's exploits in the world. My jaw was agape. And I realized Harvey, as always, was right. And so come here about the improbable collection of experiences a chimney sweep has had in the course of his storied life. Please come give a listen. Erwin, it is such a pleasure to welcome you as our kickoff of season three of TBA Now. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's exciting for me to have this conversation with you. We've known each other a long time. We traveled to Israel together. Uh, we celebrated at your son's wedding together. Uh, we've done wonderful things and your daughter's bought me. I mean, we've, we've done a lot and yes, it's, uh, it's such um, a very special relationship and I appreciate it. I appreciate you and your family. I wanted to know where and when and how did you, the Liverman family find Temple Beth Avodah? First of all, please, it's, it's, it's an honor for us and a, and a great, it's a great plus in our life to have you in our life. So that said, I'll answer your question now, I think. And that is that, you know, I'm, as a profession, I clean chimneys and it's mostly residential homes. And Rabbi Miller had called me once uh, and that started a relationship with him. And I cleaned his chimney some, I don't know how many times. And he said to me also, he says, if there's anything I can do for you, Please let me know. And then when Nancy and I were getting ready to get married, I reached out to Rabbi and and that's that's how it began. And so you joined up fairly soon thereafter. Yes, that's right. Erwin, one of the reasons that I'm so excited about this conversation is the many lives that you have led and the things that you've accomplished. Uh, it, it just is the most improbable collection of uh, <laughs> of moments. Before I get down into any of them, I, from your perspective, do you look at your life as filled with improbable connections, or does it all make sense to you? Um, it's no, it's somewhat. That's a great question. It's somewhat baffling, <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, my my career uh, or my job actually afforded me great opportunities to meet many different people and, and uh, well, a lot of different people and especially a lot of high profile people in life, whether it's in politics or in entertainment. And I started out as, as a kid seeing my dad come home 
at the end of each day and he was quite dirty and tired. And so I just had some empathy for that. And I started to help him when I was a boy. Mm. And granted, I probably wasn't, I know, I know I wasn't much help, but I was there. So Erwin, you watched your dad coming home, dirty, exhausted. It's a tough job that you've adopted for yourself. And, you know, some kids would see their dad come home uh, in that condition and say, that's the, the last thing in the world that I want to do. But you didn't go that way. Uh, yeah, that's true. But I mean, as I reflect on it, like I was looking, I, I was, I certainly wanted to help him just because I just wanted to help him. He was providing for the family, uh, you know, but, but I was, I actually ended up subconsciously wanting an easier way of life. Mm. And so I, that, that led to a few different um, avenues that I tried to walk down. And um, right. I just, uh, other interests would come to my mind as I grew up and I uh, just took a shot at them. But I always kept this profession in my periphery and it's afforded me a lot. I mean, just the interactions that I've had through through these years is uh, is, is pretty remarkable on, on so many levels. So how long have you been chimney sweeping? The answer is probably 66, 68 years since I was a boy. And um, I may be the most senior sweep in the world. I don't know. That doesn't mean that I know a lot, but I am the longest running. I assume, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, um, that it was not a primarily Jewish profession. No, not at all. Not at all. I, I've heard many times over the years, how's a nice Jewish boy like you go into this kind of a business? Yeah, kind of a diss, right? I mean, it is. Yeah. I, you know, I had great respect for it. I grew up on it. I didn't have to work to go to school. I didn't, you know, it's, it put a roof over my head. It put food on my plate. It was, I, I respected it a lot. Do chimney sweeps get together and hang out and have drinks? <laughs> um, perhaps uh, there are unions or there's a, associations. I've never bothered with any of them. And, um, but I actually have a close friend who he has a he has a good sized company. I mean, we're in competition. I mean, but he's a hammer. I'm a nail. What was one of the first paths that you seriously began to explore? That's good. I um, I think perhaps when I was I learned how to play pocket billiards pool when I was probably 10, 11, and I didn't give it much attention. And then I saw a movie called The Hustler when I was about 15. And that drew a great interest in me. And I was, I was, I, I had an ability at this, at this sport, this game going down the road a bit. I mean, I ended up uh, a Southeast United States champion in college for a couple okay. of years. Wait a minute. All right. So, <laughs> so, where, so you're, you're a kid, 10, 12 years old. Where are you playing? Oh, just at a friend's house if he had a little, you know, Toys R Us table or something like that, you know. So it wasn't any sort of big deal fancy schmancy table? Not at all. No. But I just I just knew, you know, when you know something, you know something. And I just knew that I could do this. And uh, of course, it, it then evolved into going to pool rooms when I got to be a little bit older and then right. going to college and sort of pursuing studies, sort of. But uh, but certainly playing some pool, and uh, then I you know entered tournaments down there, and again I was I 
I was Southeast U.S. champ, and uh, I came in fourth in the country in the national tournament. Then when I graduated college, I kind of put the cue away. I figured I got to make a living. I got to do something. I mean, my dad was sick when I graduated. He was, he couldn't work. And so I took up the business just to support the family. And then when he got back to, back on his feet and all, then I was able to look around a little bit more at what else I might do, never putting chimneys sweeping out of my periphery at all. Um, So how did, so you you saw the movie, great movie, Paul Newman, Jackie Gleason, really one of the great American movies and people, if they've never seen The Hustler, they really need to to, to check it out because it is a great movie. Um, You're inspired, you know you're good. Where do you actually... Where's the first serious table that you play on? Oh, it was probably in a pool room outside of Boston or in Boston. You know? And your folks were cool with you going to play pool? You know, they, I don't know if they were. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I frankly didn't experience a lot of guidance with regard to my career or my growing up and going off on my own. I, I didn't experience anything. It was kind of left to me. But again, when I reflect back on my dad, like I, he didn't get any guidance from his parents. They were all just just trying to survive. Yeah. 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 So you were pretty much able to do what you wanted to do. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I, I mean, I had like when I got out of college, like with regard to pocket billiards, if if I had had some verbal support from my dad, I mean, I maybe I might have become a professional, but. Actually, in retrospect, certainly glad I didn't. So you had this talent uh, for the business where clearly you were able to um, effectively do the work that you learned partly from your father watching him and partly just your own ability to look at the job and see what needs to be done. Um, and then in the Drennan, as they say, you um, <laughs> you figure out that you actually know how to play pool and you're good at it. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, it does not uh, it does not pull enough at your heartstrings to to lead you into the um, the more professional, competitive next step. Yeah, and knowing the <laughs> knowing the field a bit, it was a good thing. It's because it's a good, it was a good thing that I didn't. But but in uh, reflecting even further back, like I at one point I. I saw the movie many times, The Hustler, and I saw what Paul Newman was doing. And I thought to myself, well, he's doing a really good job at this. I said, I wonder how I do. And that kind of spurred an interest in the theater. And so I, I did almost everything except the TV series. I mean, I was. OK, wait. So <laughs> he dropped his bomb and kept walking, man. So, so pool that, you know, it's not it's not calling you. You you continue. Uh, you graduate from college, you end up continuing in the business. You know, so I took a few steps towards it. I didn't exactly enroll in acting school or anything, although I did I did uh, take acting classes when I was in college. It was uh, really not a, uh, it was a, like a half-hearted entry into it. I didn't, I didn't pursue it like that's the only thing in the world for me, it just because it wasn't. So what do you uh, stumble into? I had a lot of chutzpah as a young man. And so I, I did not follow the normal course of events that most young actors do where they 
get involved at a show, they get a picture taken and their resume is on the back and they submit it and hope an agent will come and see them. And all. I would go right down to the agency and try and, and weasel my way in and have a conversation and hope to get some representation. And it worked. You know, I did a couple of, I did some TV shows, I did TV commercials. I think I was even nominated for a Clio, which is a this is the award for commercials and which commercial were you getting? Uh, oh, it was a, it was for a bank in Connecticut. We shot it in New York, but anyway, uh, so just various things. You know, there was a. I mean, I was submitted and had a couple of interviews for the movie Love Story, the lead in it. Wait a minute, you were going to be the guy. That was going to say to Ali McGraw, love means never having to say you're sorry. Yeah, that could have been, that's right. could have been you. That could have been me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting side though is that that was not a book at the time. The book was written after the movie, which is not usual. But by the way, that's a by the way. So yeah. you, you, you managed to get yourself an audition. Yeah. And how did it go? Uh, you know, I thought it went, actually, the first one went, I think, I thought, okay. But they got back to me and they said, you're too young, looking too young experience-wise. Well, I thought certainly I was too young experience-wise for the role. Uh -huh. but I didn't think I was too young looking. And I sent him a telegram. That's what, that's in the age of telegrams. I sent him right. a telegram telling me he was wrong. And they, <laughs> call, and they called me back for another interview with the director. So, wow. Uh, yeah. And then they, when they came to Boston, which where I was living now, is that uh, I, they called me to do a small scene. And I appeared in the scene. I had a scene with Ali McGraw, but I think I was so nervous that they ended up, it ended up on the quote unquote cutting room floor. Bummer. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I still get it. Anytime it's shown anywhere. So who's ever listening out there, put it on. <laughs> I get a check. I get a residual check. <laughs> That's fantastic, Erwin. So like uh, if I watch it tomorrow on Netflix, you might get like a check for 20 cents. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 20 cents. Offer yeah. the cause. <laughs> so still in search of the life of ease and a film not looking like it's going to be a particularly productive road. What happens next? Yeah, I devoted most of my attention to uh, my my family business. I mean, I got my master's in, in education and counseling psych, and but I again, I still the the main focus was the chimneys because that's what I knew, and I had to make a living. I mean, I but in terms of like, there's still an, an avenue of sports that I delved into, and that was uh, football. I mean, I had a tryout with the Patriots as a kicker one okay, year. No, wait a minute, okay. Now we're talking about another path. And how is it that you, did you play uh, football in college? I, I, I wasn't allowed to play. I went to I graduated from the University of Miami. But when I transferred down to Miami, I was not a graduate of the junior college that I had attended. And if you're not a graduate, when you transfer, you have to wait out a year of ineligibility. So I was a junior at the time. I had, they had 90-odd guys on scholarship. They didn't need little Irwin <laughs> to help fill the roster. There actually was a moment of anti-Semitism that I experienced, and that was just walking on the campus with uh, a few of the players, and one of them made a comment about Jews, and I said, hey, I'm a Jew. And he says, oh, you're different, Ern. 
Mm-hmm. So, so you're different, Ern. And, yeah, that's uh, always one of those ones that get thrown. Oh, no, you're not like the other ones. Yeah, that, that was all. So you did not end up playing. I didn't. College. I didn't even end up playing in college. But I had this letter of recommendation that I sent to the Patriots, and one day, out of mittendrin, out of the blue, they called me, and I went down and I auditioned. But uh, I tried out. But the best thing about the tryout was filling out the NFL questionnaire. It was like I, I really my my chest was I was like a puffer fish sitting there. <laughs> filling out the questionnaire. Oh, that's remarkable. So you had a good enough kick to at least uh, have it, have this tryout yeah. with the Patriots. Yeah. yeah. Long time ago. You mentioned you had this uh, degree, um, your master's. Did you ever end up uh, doing anything with it professionally? A little. For a while, I, I did some uh, counseling in the evening, one night a week. Um, the focus was on divorce for divorced dads. And, um, cause I knew that I knew the territory. I was a divorced dad myself. Uh-huh. And, um, uh, it was fine to do that, but I, my kids were young. I didn't want to be away from them for them. And I didn't want to be away from them for me. So I, I think I pursued this for, I don't know, six months or something. And then I just kind of gave it up. Do you think of yourself as a restless man? Um, no, no, I feel quite, um, I feel quite settled in my, within myself. I I eventually came to, for years and years, I was actually kind of, uh, uh, embarrassed by the work that I was doing. I didn't, Mm. I didn't feel great about it at all. And then at some point it came to be, you know, this is okay. This is okay. This is, this is what I do. And I'm, um, if I may say, I, I'm really good at this work. It's an, it's a nice, it feels good actually. You know, there's a, uh, there's a saying, uh, in a Jewish tradition, um, who is the happy person? And then the answer is the one who is content with his portion. And I think Samech Bechelko is the Hebrew and, I think you're suggesting, and it's not necessarily an easy place to come to. And I'm glad that you feel like it, you recognized A, your talent for doing an important job, and B, that it was an utterly honorable and acceptable way uh, to make a living. Hmm. Thank you. I think I have helped bring it up in stature, if you will. So, okay, so did did we miss any big adventure? So we have uh, a love story. We have the Patriots. We have uh, the uh, Billiard Championship. Um, are there any other critical uh, pieces here before we turn to your family? Just that this work has afforded me the opportunity to meet uh, so many different people and interact with them. I mean, like I, we used to do Clean Julia Child's chimney every year. Oh, Mr. Liverman, so nice to see you again. (laughs) Oh, Paul, Paul, Mr. Liverman's here. Did they ever offer you something to eat? Never that I can recall. (laughs) But she was always in the kitchen. Yeah. But, but, uh, and then, I I mean, I spent a couple of hours with Muhammad Ali. um, Wow. In in New York, he was, was, when I was still kind of in in the show business, he was doing a, public service announcement or something. And I was 
I, w- I went down there and uh, to the studio. I was called my my wife at the time was working on the production, and so I got to spend a couple hours with him. He's such a such a bright guy. I mean, he he was spouting some prose that is not like Joe Frazier's nothing, George Foreman's nothing, nothing like that. Just really, really impressive prose, and um, this is a really pleasure to be with him. And he. When he walked, he was like a big lion walking. It was just a, you know, you brush against him and it's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> He's a big guy. I mean, I, you know, I, I knew Ted Williams when uh, I was just a kid because he was dating my sister for a couple of years and there was talk of marriage. But my mother kind of put the kibosh on that because he wasn't Jewish. But so you got a chance. uh to meet this guy that was dating your sister. He's talking to me. I don't hear a word he's saying. You know, I'm right. just, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to keep my lips together instead of just, huh? <laughs> he gave me a, a ball. He was, I mean, it's just, he was so dynamic. Actually, both these, uh, Muhammad Ali and Ted Williams, both very large people. Yeah. Big personalities, big voices, regardless the size of the room. I mean, from politicians to Chief uh, Justice Breyer, I worked for him too. I mean, just Governor Dukakis, or just uh, so many, uh, Stephen Wright. Uh, I was in Noel Stokey's uh, recording studio. He was Paul from Peter, Paul and Mary. I mean, it's just, it's a long list. It's a long list. Yeah. It is a long list. And and again, I, I think, I was trying to think of the movie that it reminded me of a little bit and and uh, it's that Woody Allen movie Zelig, you know, where where he just finds himself in all of these situations and ends up just changing and somehow being connected to this extraordinary cavalcade of human beings uh, over time. And you have had a Zelig like uh, opportunity to be around so many different people and to learn from him and just to just the experience of being around them. And, you know, they're entrusting you to do. Um, yeah. This work in their homes—it's pretty extraordinary. Erwin, it, it seems to me that one of the ways that all of your life's experiences uh, have come to pass has to do with not necessarily a formally enunciated philosophy, but you—you you definitely have a way of being that sets people at ease. I, I wonder—have you thought about that? Um sporadically once in a while. I mean, I, I really feel that when we hear someone talk, we should really hear them talk what they're saying, because maybe it's of value. Maybe it's not so much, but people, people want to talk. They want to be heard, not so much given advice, but just to, just to be heard, to be appreciated for being there and speaking their point of view. Mm. Yeah, I can't I can't count the number of people that have um, just shared with me facts about their lives, Uh, not just, you know, the high profile people, but it's everybody. And I just I sometimes come home and I'd say, I can't believe some of the stories I hear uh, from these people. They just seem to feel quite comfortable sharing this info with me. Tell us a little bit about your family. So I have three children. One, my oldest, Rachel, lives in New York and has uh, has a few shops at Pewis, a half a dozen stores where she does facials. And um, 
and sell some product as well. And my son Jacob is lives in the uh, central Mass area near UMass Amherst, where he went to school and has chosen to stay out there. And then my youngest is uh, Avra, who is, is actually right now still living with us. She's a barber. She's a licensed barber. She has her own shop in Watertown. Hint, hint, people. <laughs> well, we will certainly include that plug. And I wanted to bring up the fact that there have been periods where your son Jacob has worked with you mm-hmm. in chimney sweeping. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He, uh, when, he, when he comes towards the Boston area, he will often help me out on work. I mean, it's nice. It's so He's third generation. And ironically, my dad's name was Abraham. I actually am Isaac. And mm-hmm. my son is Jacob. Abraham, oh, Isaac, and Jacob. When we go to homes... Um, this is prior to Jacob even being born. Uh, often customers would pull me aside and they say, oh, your dad is so handsome. And I'd say, okay. And then when Jacob would work with me, they uh, often, again, they'd be pulling me aside and say, oh, your son, he's such a handsome young man. And I'd be <laughs> what thinking, am I yeah, what about me? What am I? <laughs> you know, where do yeah. I fit into this? <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, it must have felt nice. Um have Jacob with you in terms of that sense of continuity that, you know, that you carry forward? Uh, it is. It is, frankly, the, the best period of my career as in the chimney business was working with my dad, which is mm. not common. I mean, not everybody gets along with their dad, but right. I, it was, I had a, it was a great opportunity for me and I really got to know him and it, we got along really well. And so I hope that some of that is, uh, kind of rubs off in Jacob to the experience of working with me. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's certainly the fact that you're able to do it and to get along as well as you do. I think that's yeah. a great pleasure. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah. You're also quite the athlete and um, you are uh, an enthusiastic biker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I, uh, I've taken part for some years now with Susan Reddick's foundation, uh, Beyond the Bike, um, Beyond the 11th, as it's called. And the, the ride is called Beyond the Bike. And that's where we ride from ground zero to uh, Needham in two and a half days. And um, yeah, it's and that actually is... You know, it's a, it's a little bit of a stress relief. It's a little bit of a meditation. It's um, it's nice. It's good, and um, and we do some good work. Uh, you're still sweeping. Yes. Yeah, I am. And you're not particularly interested in retirement. It's an interesting question. Um, it's a revolving thought in my head. I think that being part of society, being on that turntable is valuable. Just, you've just got to, you got to stay somewhat stimulated and, and productive if possible. And this is what does it for you. Um, it, it does it with regard to being productive and all. I mean, with, yeah. for a stress relief, truly playing pool and, and cycling are, there are two activities that um, you keep your brain engaged uh, tremendously and it's a period of time where I often can just think about what I'm doing yeah. as opposed to anything else. Erwin, you've kept us engaged. Uh, what, a, what a great, great conversation. Um, 
I'm so glad that we had this chance to talk. So glad that you are our leadoff uh, hitter for uh, TBA Now's uh, third season. Um, we uh, we wish you nothing but naches as you continue in your work. Thank you so much for being on with us this afternoon. You're very welcome. Thank you, Rabbi, and thank you for honoring me this way. Find all of our episodes on BethAvodah.org or on podcast sites everywhere. Special thanks to our brilliant producer, Amy Tonkanaji, and our intrepid engineer, Mike Kligerman. 